Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Edgy talk. Lane talk. Unrivaled talk. Talk radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The only place to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I tell you what, it's in pretty short supply in some parts of the world. Uh, some of those parts of the world are in this country as well. Here at the home of Common Sense, we've got a massive show for you today. Foreign Secretary Liz Truss is speaking this morning with the latest on Ukraine and what the West will do over the next few days to try and convince Vladimir Putin to ease his military ambitions to blitzkrieg the country back to the Stone Age, which appears to be what he's about to do. As the Shells rain down on the country. We'll also be checking in with Maria Advida in Kharkiv, which has been under attack for a week now. And we'll be asking why anyone still believes Russia's claims that they are denazifying the country. You might remember Maria was one of the first people we spoke to last week who vowed to not leave the area, who vowed that if uh, the shells started to hit the building she was in, she'd head down to the bomb shelter, but she was not abandoning her position because she lives in a country that she believes in fighting for. Coming up, uh, we'll get Richard Taylor's views on the events of the last few days, including what he makes of the Roman Abramovich revelations at Chelsea, uh, which has now been put up for sale and apparently uh, it's going to make billions and billions and billions for one of Vladimir Putin's closest mates. 0344 499 We'll also be speaking to Andy Jacobs about that, uh, who is TalkSport's, of course, afternoon presenter on Hawksby and Jacobs, one of the absolute staples of TalkSport, one of the shows which has kept TalkSport going for years and years and years and years. Big Chelsea fan uh, will be finding out what he makes of what is actually going on. Fraser Nelson is here as well with an explanation of why the people in charge of modelling for the COVID pandemic got it so wrong and why he believes we should be taking as many refugees from Ukraine as we can. Helen Dale's also here with her take on the war in Ukraine. Her first book was all about the famine in that part of the world and she's also got some views on the cancel culture as well. And because it's Thursday, we'll be having a few cocktails with A.D. Smith from The Three Drinkers. You won't want to miss any of that. 0344 499 You'll listen to me Mike Graham right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it's time to say a very, very good morning to Richard Taylor, our good friend in uh, the west of Wales, uh, where we uh, occasionally visit, uh, but we haven't been for quite some time. Richard, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, good, great to have you back from the USA as well. Well, exactly right. How is Welsh <laughs> Wales this morning? Is the sun shining? Well, it's, is, uh, it's is, not, has I'm... Drakeford stopped you going outside? What's going on? Well, well Drakeford's on his way to Brussels, and he to negotiate with other <laughs> European uh, leaders to well, try he go, and get was he going to, to surrender? Do, to, 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 well, yeah, I mean, he, he posted a photo on social media yesterday going out to show solidarity. I mean, you, you know, it's not even a devolved matter. It's got nothing to do with him. It's the UK government. Another example of a waste of Welsh taxpayers' money, Mike, yes. as you'd expect. Just virtue signalling once again from the Welsh government. These people are amazing, aren't they? I mean, what makes him think anybody's interested in him in, in, uh, in Brussels? I mean, Nicola Sturgeon used to try this time and time again, didn't she, to try and make out that, you know, oh, we want to stay in the European Union. It's nothing to do with us, what the UK wants to do. 
Well, I think that's what it is, isn't it? Because we've seen it here since Brexit. You know, they've they've never accepted the result of the vote here. They're continually in the Senate, gone banging on about the the bad side of Brexit, trade, and all the stuff that they can put up to tell people it was the wrong thing to do. Yet the people of Wales voted to leave, and they can't get over that. And you know, they, it's it's like a sore, it's, it's like a man with a sore tummy. You know, he's just trying to get rid of it. He can't get rid of it, and he's always going to keep virtue signaling over Brexit and moan about it. And every every possibility he gets, he moans about Brexit. Yeah, it is absolutely. Absolutely and utterly unbelievable. Speaking uh, of uh, Brexit, speaking of COVID, just before we get on to matters uh, east in the Ukraine. Is COVID uh, still a thing then, Mike? Is well, it? I don't think it is. And in fact, not only is it no longer still a thing, um, the people who told us how to behave and why we had to hide away for every single minute of every single day of every single year in case we gave it to our grannies have admitted they got it so wrong um, that they should never really be allowed anywhere near government again. Oh, well, there's a report out today, Mike, in the exposure. I read it earlier this morning that nine or ten people that died in England with COVID actually had the vaccine. I don't know, you know, what the, if the source of that is correct, but I posted on Twitter. People can check it out. But it's been published by the UK government, so I'm assuming it's right, Mike. Yeah. And yet, you know, we've covered up a lot of this stuff, and there's investigations still to go on with Pfizer. There's a big report come out from them. There's a lot of information coming out that seems to be forgotten. But I, for one, and I'm sure many of your viewers and listeners as well, Mike, would be of the opinion we will not let this go. It's not going to be a diversion tactic. Yes, we're in the middle. We've seen what's happening. Putin's doing over there in Ukraine, and it's and it's awful to see innocent life being killed both on both sides and including the Russian soldiers who for some of them don't even know why they're there so you know the, the, those arguments will continue but certainly we cannot let the government off the hook on things that have happened here in the UK and closer to home on domestic political issues no I mean I've said this just now to Julia that you know I will not let this go it's all very well for them to say oh we got it wrong we made a mistake what I want to see uh, is these people being hounded out of government being hounded out of Downing Street and being told never show your faces here again uh, for fear of absolute ridicule and for fear fear of, uh, of, of being fired and never being able to work again, because quite frankly, what they did was cri- nothing short of criminal, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, and well, well, the media were complicit, Mike. I think Tonya mentioned on your show yesterday, she yeah. talked about the last two years we've been lied to by, by, by mainstream media. So yeah. as a result of that, I posted something earlier this week and said it's awful what Putin's doing, going in and killing innocent lives. People started attacking me, saying, Rich, it's fake news. There's no war going on in Ukraine. I'm like, what? Are you serious? Because they didn't trust mainstream media. I get that. But there are other media sources out there, Mike. You know, there's talk radio. There's other platforms as well. Many other places where we do get the truth, common sense, and there's different opinions that are allowed as well, where we're not censored and cancelled like many of the mainstream mm. media outlets so surely are. And I think surely there will come a point where these politicians must be held to account for what they've done to our children, our education, our mental health, to our economy. Because let's, let's remind ourselves, Mike, you know, we're talking about the main, you know, obviously the big news is the war in Ukraine at the moment. The real issue is this. Look at the state of our country, our our military force. We don't have a military here in the UK. So even if, and people are calling for this and escalating it, and God forbid that ever happens, we don't need a nuclear war. It's the last thing we need, right? But the the rhetoric doesn't help that, surely, I know. But here's the thing. Even if that did happen, we don't have an army. We don't have a a military here in the UK. We've decimated it. Well, we don't have one. What are we going to do against Putin's army? You know. Well, that's right. I mean, we certainly don't have uh, um, uh, any kind of force that can be mobilised and sent in to fight on behalf of, uh, of Ukraine because Ukraine have already got plenty of people. Um, I mean, yes, we're very good at sending in special forces and it may well be that we already have some special forces in there and it may well be that that is our strength now. But what we certainly don't have is is the mass numbers of people uh, that would overwhelm the Russians. We simply haven't got that and haven't yeah. had it for years. Yeah, and I think the, the rhetoric, as you've noticed, and you've been talking about it, Mike, you know, people talking about, you know, where should the, you know, no-fly zones and NATO should get involved more. I mean, 
look, if we did that, we were going to enter into a war that we none of us want, you know, on both sides. We don't really need that kind of rhetoric and that talk at the moment. And I know the UK government have pushed that to one side. I'm glad they have. Mm. But my, my question is this, Mike, what are the solutions? What are the answers? We've put sanctions in place, economic sanctions. We've done all we can outside. Yes, and after the oligarchs, and they need to do a bit more. We mentioned Abramovich earlier. You know, they need... Apart from economic sanctions, what else can we do? And I'm afraid, because I was asking people this morning on social media, what are the solutions? Yeah. There's varied replies, and most people are like, they really don't know what the no. answers are, because it seems inevitable, like, what's going to happen? Well, I mean, I think the problem with social media as well, Richard, is that we now have an entire sort of army of people who think they're expert in foreign policy, <laughs> who think they're expert in, you know, sort of, you know, army manoeuvres, and they think they're expert in winning <laughs> wars, you know, so it's always dangerous to start asking yeah. what they think we should be doing. You know, in my day, when we were running newspapers, we used to run newspapers the old fashioned way, which was what well, we'll tell you what the news is, yeah. we'll tell you exactly what we should be doing. Uh, and we've got ex expert columnists who will tell you what you should be thinking. But now people are allowed to think for themselves. Yeah. It doesn't work out so well for no, you've got John in Manchester who's turned into a military commander overnight. I mean, That's it's right. just amazing. It is. And also, I love, I love the numbers of people who know exactly what Vladimir Putin's doing <laughs> and exactly what he's going to do tomorrow and then the next day. Yeah, well, I, look, I'm no expert on international policy or anything like that, right, or foreign policy, but I, I, I just say it as I see it. And I think at the moment we're in a very precarious situation where we don't really have the answer. The UK government are putting all these sanctions on this, squeezing them economically to try and, I suppose, cut off his... His his wealth um, to 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 f that's funding this war, but I mean it's it defeat this to admit it. I'm watching the the uh, president of Ukraine, and it seems to me as if this is going to go one way. Um, I feel for the people of Ukraine. I feel for innocent women and children and yeah. men that have had to fight this war. That's not their war. Russians certainly the people media blackouts over there. They don't surely don't want this war because they they got relatives in Ukraine. It, it, there are no winners in war, Mike. Let's be honest. They're mm. just casualties. And I think, you know, it's interesting. We haven't heard much from Tony Blair, have we, the last few weeks? He's gone very quiet. I wonder if he's uh, under uh, under house arrest somewhere in the Middle East, you know, because he's out there probably trying to spread his word of peace and love. And, you know, he did manage to get himself a peace envoy's job in the Middle East. Not quite sure how that's going. Yeah, and I, The other thing as well, Mike, I noticed on social media, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, people are kind of taking sides. I mean, I, I've been shocked at this. I've been amazed at the number of people like, who don't think that this is actually real. Yeah, well, this is why I got slated. I had a few days off Twitter because I was going to say something I regretted and get yeah. banned. But anyway, so I didn't. But the reality was is people were attacking me because I was saying, if you deny there's a war going on in Ukraine, you are mental. Yeah. And you should see the replies. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I like, oh, you're, you're watching fake news, mainstream media. And I'm like, yeah. no, I watch I watch all kinds of news. I watch RT news. I watch, you know, all kinds of news. You know, your depth and breadth is important when it comes to researching stuff. And it was amazing to see people that, are, that I've... They've been very supportive of some of the things I've said over the last few years. Yeah. Turn on me viciously, yeah. like really viciously. Well, so, I said this I'll... to Tonya yesterday. We now live apparently in a world where you either trust what you're looking at or you don't. People seem to have lost the ability to make a judgment. You know, you can quite happily look at something in a newspaper or on a television, uh, which turns out not to be quite what it, what it seems. But that doesn't mean everything they do is completely and utterly made up. And that's just simply not the world that we live in. There's no question, as I keep saying, there's one fact that you need to know in this scenario. And it is that Vladimir Putin and the Russian military have invaded Ukraine. That's the first fact you need. And once you get past that, then you can decide what else to do. I mean, for example, I think from our point of view, much more important really than how militarily it ends up is what we do with all these Ukrainian refugees who are coming yeah. over probably by the millions by the yeah. time we get to the end of this month.
Well, well, that's going to be the big humanitarian crisis is going to be massive. Post wars always are, Mike. And I think there's close on a million people already crossed the border yeah. in you know, places like Poland and Moldova. Places like that are going to take in huge amounts of refugees. And there's going to be a massive campaign for charities, I'm sure, around the UK to try and support them. We've seen it here in Wales, actually. There's a number of places opened up where people can take food, uh, clothes, clothes, sorry, not food, clothes where they, they're going to send it off to Ukraine uh, to bordering countries like Poland and stuff. So th- th- that's going to be a massive problem. And then we look at our own problem here in the UK. We've got mass immigration, uncontrolled immigration still going on. There's still people coming into the Kent border, remember? You know, let's remind our viewers and listeners, Mike. And yet we face the situation where people are generally fleeing horrific scenes there mm. in Ukraine. And we've got, to, we've got to offer support and help. But how much support and help can a little island like United Kingdom well, give? That's, we, that's we the could, issue, isn't we, it? We could have given a lot more support and help had we not already taken in thousands and thousands and thousands of illegal migrants who supposedly, I mean, I'm quite happy to see that these people from Ukraine are coming here uh, in, their, in their thousands and hundreds of thousands because they are genuinely fleeing a war yeah. zone. That's what it looks like. Yeah. You know, it doesn't look like a bunch of blokes sitting on a dinghy, you know, taking arriving selfies. and taking <laughs> selfies and getting off with their new trainers onto the beaches of Dover. Yeah. Uh, and uh, coming from Calais. We're going to go crossing over to Liz Truss, who's in Lithuania shortly, so bear with us, Richard, yeah. uh, when we when we do have to jump over there. But, you know, if we hadn't taken all of these refugees in the first place, claiming asylum, we might be in a better position to offer the Ukrainians some, some temporary aid and temporary assistance. I'm not up for this, you know, let's all open up our houses and give your spare bedroom to a Ukrainian family. I mean, that's ludicrous and ridiculous. If somebody yeah, wants well, to well, do it, that's fine. But we shouldn't be suggesting it, should we? No, but Gary Lineker offered that, but he didn't didn't actually do it, did he, if you remember? Well, I mean, but, he's offered know, them a run round his, his, in his Mercedes C63 to see if yeah. he can save the planet while he's at it, but I'm not sure yeah. if that's uh, something we're going to well, take well, him up I, on. I, th- I think what we should do is, to get, you know, send economic migrants, right? They shouldn't be a... Deport no, them. Let's and, 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 let's, and let's get real real refugees and give them the love and support that they're desperately going to need from war-torn countries. Yeah. Because let's be honest, mate, you and I know, many people know this, but a lot of people coming over here illegally, economic migrants... They t- they're using our system because the system's not it's not working, it's not fit for purpose, because they know they can get the benefits, they know they can jump on the bandwagon, they know they can get all the rights that they get over here. Mm. And I think the government have a responsibility to look at the whole picture and say, hang on a minute, we, we, what we've, we, we've told them what they're doing is wrong. They just don't seem to get it. When they stood on a manifesto in 2019 says we're going to get tough on immigration, if anything, it's gone the other way, isn't it? Well, it, it has, yeah. I mean, they keep saying they're getting tough on immigration. We already know from January. I haven't seen the figures from February yet but because they've now told us they're not going to give us the figures anymore because that's their way of keeping it quiet. But in January, certainly, I think there was something like seven times the number of people that came compared to the previous January. So there's no doubt in my mind that it's getting worse before it gets any better. And I don't even see how, given what Pretty Patel's record has been like so far, how they are going to fix it. I can't see it either, Mike, because, you know, they've had plenty of time to do this since 2019. Yes, they can use the excuse. Well, they have been an excuse where we've been in the middle of a pandemic. There'd be bigger issues to deal with. Yeah. And it seems all these things like smoke screens, aren't they? I'm picking this up across social media as well. People I'm talking to, Mike, uh, they're into politics. They say, no, well, this is happening. It's a distraction. That's a distraction. I mean, there's loads of distractions. Yeah, they are. Just- and Liz Truss is one of them. We've got to go there now. The United Kingdom stands with our allies in doing all we can to support Ukraine against President Putin's war of choice. We must ensure Putin fails in this horrific enterprise and his ambitions go no further. We were pleased to support Lithuania's leadership referring war crimes to the ICC. I'm here today in Vilnius with our Baltic friends because I want to say that the UK's commitment to the Baltics and to Article 5 are unyielding. 
Our Baltic friends know what's at stake, having long lived in the shadow of Russian aggression, and I admire your courage. We're working together to deliver two clear objectives. First, Putin must lose in Ukraine. We're helping Ukraine defend itself. Our defensive weapons from the United Kingdom are now being used to stop Russian tranks, but we need to do more. Secondly, we must contain this aggression. We are reinforcing NATO's eastern flank and supporting European security through the UK-led Joint Expeditionary Force. We are here in the Baltic region. We lead and have doubled our enhanced forward presence in Estonia. Our allies are leading troops across the Baltics. British military intelligence are working with Lithuania's military to enhance border defensive, including in the Sulvaki Gap. 200 troops are doing joint military exercises right now, and we're working together on maritime security. At the NATO foreign ministers meeting tomorrow, we will be working together to strengthen our collective defence in the light of the changed security situation across Europe. In terms of supporting Ukraine with defensive weaponry, the United Kingdom was the first European country to give defensive military support to Ukraine, and we are now also supporting with the humanitarian aid. We've pledged 220 million in aid support to Ukraine, and we're the top European donor, and we will do more. We've also been at the forefront in tightening the vice on the Kremlin through sanctions. And it's vital at this juncture that we keep our foot on the gas. We've worked with the US, the EU and G7 to cut off funding for Putin's war machine, kicking Russian banks out of the financial system. We've also shut our airspace to Russian planes and we're fast forwarding sanctions against Russian oligarchs. But we need to go further. We need to make sure no Russian bank has access to SWIFT, and we need to go further on reducing dependency on hydrocarbons from Russia, including oil, gas, and coal. We've also launched sanctions against Belarus for aiding and abetting aggression. I will be raising these issues at the G7 tomorrow and also at the European Union Foreign Affairs Council alongside the United States, Canada, and Ukraine who have also been invited in these extraordinary circumstances. This is a struggle, not just for Ukraine's freedom and self-determination, but for all of our freedom and security. By continuing to respond with strength, we will together ensure that Putin loses. And we stand with our brave allies here in the Baltics to do just that. Liz Truss there, the Foreign Secretary, talking to uh, uh, an audience in Lithuania, speaking about the G7 meeting coming tomorrow, uh, talking about why uh, we are so uh, united against the Russian invasion. Russia's Foreign Minister uh, has said just now, Moscow is ready for talks to end the fighting in Ukraine, but will not stop targeting the embattled country's military infrastructure. We are talking, of course, uh, right here uh, to our, our good friend, Mr Taylor. Uh, Richard, what do you make of uh, what Liz Truss had to say there. I mean, it looks as though they're sort of hoping for the best, aren't they, that basically Russia gives up? Yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it, by cutting him off by these sanctions. But also, it's interesting her opening remarks sounded very 
almost like they're preparing for the worst because there is this fear that where where will Putin stop once he's done this and should Ukraine fall and surrender to him? Will he continue into other European countries? And I think moving military troops, which he's mentioned, not into Ukraine, but on the borders of some of those countries, then clearly there is a concern. Uh, I don't know if you picked that up, Mike, in her opening remarks. It, it seems to be that they've had some security uh, advice, maybe, or information that they're privy to that the public aren't. But there, there are some real concerns. And I, for one, at the start, I remember saying, and again, I'm no expert on foreign policy, Mike, right? Just a Welshman that likes to rant, as you know. Yeah. But certainly well, listen, seen... when you live in Wales, everything's foreign, isn't it? I mean, because <laughs> yeah. uh, everything has yeah. to be imported. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, literally, yeah, yeah. As we, we need to deport Mark Drakeford. That's another story, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So I think, you know, what the rhetoric that's happening now, we're preparing for the worst. I, I do I do fear for the people of Ukraine. I do. This is my take. I might be wrong. I think Ukraine will fall. I think Vladimir will get his way. It will come at a huge cost to him because post-war, what will happen to Russia, obviously still being sanctioned and cut off from the rest of the world. But let's not forget, Mike, too many countries have been energy dependent on places like Russia for far too long. And what, we, what we've done in these countries, we've pushed the big green agenda, which, by the way, reports come out saying now the cost of that net zero green yeah. agenda is so expensive and they don't even know what the full cost is. So we've gone down this road. We've concentrated on being so woke and liberal in all the kind of stuff that we want to do, virtue signaling on climate change. We've forgotten what's going on in the real world. And we've been asleep at the wheel, I'm afraid, when it comes to Putin. And I fear that once Ukraine falls, he may possibly look to extend his power because he wants to revive the old Russian mm. empire. That's yeah. his mission. He's, you know, he's from the old school, Mike, USSR. You know that. And he's in his last decade. He's in his 70s. He wants to leave a legacy. And I'm afraid that he won't stop just with uh, Ukraine. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I think you have a very good point there, Richard. Listen, thanks very much indeed. We're going to see you next week uh, in the studio, I think. Richard uh, Taylor, they're reporting into us from uh, Welsh Wales, as we like to call it here, uh, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, a fascinating country, a great country in many ways, run by a complete idiot. But there we are. What can you do? Uh, we'll take your calls coming up 0344 499 1000 uh, because there's lots to talk about. The green agenda, of course, has been discredited. Yes, indeed, Liz Truss says uh, that uh, we are standing firm against Vladimir Putin. I think all they're really hoping that uh, for is that the Russians pull back from their military uh, objective, that they actually agree to sit down around a table because the economy of Russia is currently being uh, assailed and is currently being destroyed by the sanctions. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Listen on DAB+. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are here, of course, all the way through until one o'clock when it's time for Ian Collins. Don't forget, uh, you can watch us as well as listening to us. Check in uh, with talkradio.tv or go to the App Store and download Talk Radio TV's app. Uh, and you can watch us on Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, YouTube. And now, of course, uh, we're also on Amazon Fire TV as well. Plank of the Week is out. Uh, we filmed it on Tuesday uh, and it is out there now. We'll be playing you a little clip from that a little bit later on. Right now, though, uh, let's go live to Kharkiv, uh, where Maria Adviva uh, is, Ukrainian security analyst. We spoke to Maria last week and she told us, uh, unbelievably, uh, from our point of view at the time, that she was not going to leave the city. She was, had no plans to move uh, if the Russians started bombing nearby where she lived. She said, this is our land and we are not giving it up to anyone. Uh, we thought that was an incredibly brave thing to say. Maria, how are you? Welcome back. 
Hi, thank you. Good to hear you. So yes, I'm still in Kharkiv. I will manage to go out today and see the uh, results, uh, the the consequences of the bombardments by uh, Russian uh, airplanes that they carried out in Kharkiv for the two last days. So they are uh, they are putting uh, is using uh, aircraft to bombard the uh, civilians, the residential areas in Kharkiv, and the city center is completely destroyed. Destructed, uh, destroyed. Uh, the uh, you could see that the uh, you know it is the, the devastating uh, consequences of the uh, last night uh, uh, flights because they were actually targeting the uh, city council building in the center of the city and nearby houses are all uh, like residential areas where people live. Yes. Are there any signs of any Russian troops yet, or is it just shelling that they're doing? They are they are not only doing shelling, but what is more uh, dangerous, they're using uh, air fighters to bombard the city, and then uh, you can. Uh, it is very hard to hide uh, at this moment. Right. Uh, they, they still cannot take over the city uh, on land uh, and uh, on the ground, uh, and that means that uh, uh, Putin is uh, you know trying all other means how to crush the city because uh, apparently his strategy is not. Not working. He, we now see that probably Russian uh, troops were planning to get control over the city in three days. It's what uh, the uh, Russian captives uh, say on cameras because they said that they were given the supplies of uh, uh, the supplies of food and uh, fuel only for three days. Mm. So they, the plan didn't work, and now they are uh, they are staying on their positions. And the Ukrainian army is uh, fighting there, and they do not give them any possibility to move further uh, to the city uh, and that means that Russia's only way now is to you know, uh, terrorize the uh, civilian population in the city and making the uh, the live, living here as uh, difficult as possible. Sure and and what is the situation with the people of the city because you're staying there you're staying put you're not moving are a lot of people leaving? Well, many of them are. I have seen today that the rail, uh, ra railway station is overcrowded because uh, it is possible still to leave the city by, by the railway. We have emergency trains and I know uh, British citizens who were here till yesterday and then yesterday they they needed to uh, to leave the city in, in a state of emergency by using the, these trains. And also others I, I, I see on the streets, I know Putin uh, everything in the cars what they can and uh, probably they will also try to leave the city it's not only because of the bombardments and the, that it is hard to find some safe place here in the city but also because there are shortages of food so the nearby uh, supermarkets uh, where I live you can no longer come in for example today they had only bread and the macaroni mm. spaghetti so you uh, there you, you cannot come in and they are just uh, selling these two things outside so that is all you can get uh, for now for example here in in my district right i see and as far as the um, um uh, the intensity if you like of the attacks do you feel like it's been been worse in the last few days and, and how is it today 
Uh, yes, absolutely. They they are they are doing it more 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 in intense way. And uh, today in the morning it was silent on the some distant shelling, but then they usually start bombarding when it's uh, getting darker. And yesterday the electricity, so they were targeting uh, the electricity station and the power plant station here, and the whole district was, including my home as well, was without electricity. For for more than 12 hours. So it means that they will continue to do so, so that the uh, infrastructure will be damaged. Yes. Do you feel as though they're just concentrating on the infrastructure, not on uh, trying to target civilians? They do both. So for, for with the infrastructure that will make uh, living in one and a half million city uh, almost impossible because it is still uh, freezing, very cold outside and without heating, it might be too difficult to live. And then uh, uh, bombarding and uh, uh, shelling civilians and also schools and hospitals, uh, it's like... Um, taking the whole city as hostages so people will be afraid and will be uh, so the humanitarian uh, disaster will uh, eventually happen here yes it's a terrible situation maria hopefully you can stay safe uh, as best you can thank you once again for talking to us we'll speak to you again uh, soon that's um, uh, maria avdiva uh, ukrainian security analyst an, an analyst in in kharkiv which has been under attack now for at least a week this all started let's remember a week ago and at the end of the day uh, they are still targeting uh, non-military targets even if they're saying that they're not russia's foreign minister saying today that moscow is ready for talks to end the fighting but will not stop targeting the embattled country's military infrastructure well, according to maria uh, basically that is exactly what they are doing they are targeting um individual homes and and civilian targets as well we're going to go now to kirsten uh, which is of course uh, now in russian hands another city in ukraine we're speaking to svetlana zarina who's a language teacher and translator svetlana uh, very good morning to you welcome uh, good good uh, morning good afternoon here in ukraine Thank you for joining us. Can you tell us, please, what the situation is uh, in Kherson, where you are? The uh, situation in Kherson is pretty hard right now because <clears throat> we are occupied by Russians. Uh, Russian soldiers are all over the this, this city. They are hiding uh, be between um, <clears throat> just, you know, houses and uh, apartment buildings. Mm. Uh, to stay safe, uh, because Ukrainian army cannot do anything. They are afraid to um, to hurt regular people. So we are just waiting. Uh, we trust our army, and uh, we know this is the part of the plan. So we need to stay strong and wait uh, until they will come here and kick them out of the city. Right. So have you been hearing a lot of explosions, a lot of gunfire where you are? Uh, yes, I live not far from the airport area. Uh, it's in the village near Kherson. So we hear a lot of the explosions uh, here, especially at the nighttime and uh, early in the morning. Yesterday, it was especially uh, hard because they are bombed, I don't know, or fought it for their, um, like, starting from 2 a.m. and until 6, something like that. Right. So. Yes. And so are you um, staying inside? You've, have you been advised not to go out? Yes, we are staying inside. Uh, we're trying not to leave our house because we are. it's not uh, 
it's not safe uh, to be outside just you know if it's necessary we go buy some food or water but we haven't left the house for like three uh three days mm. uh, already okay yes and is the city kind of at a standstill nothing is open the shops are closed that kind of thing how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Uh, yeah, shops are closed. Some shops are open because our government and our mayor and the sensitive people need to buy food and medicine. So some pharmacies, some shops are closed, but not all of them. Right. Uh, and for, for example, there is a grocery store um not like maybe uh, 500 meters from us and there is a, a shop with building materials uh, materials and russian uh, soldiers occupied this shop so there is this their strategical point in our city so it's dangerous to go there mm. and as far as the russian soldiers are concerned have you had uh, any news from them do they know why they're doing what they're doing i mean we've heard we've heard a lot of stories that many of them didn't realize they were coming to a war zone Yes, they don't realize. Uh, we don't get any news from Russian uh, soldiers. Uh, we just uh, get all the information from our mayor, from our government. And the um, mayor said that there was an agreement with Russians for them not to hurt uh, regular people. Uh, we should uh, stay home uh, starting from 8 until in the evening uh, until 6 in the morning we cannot leave our houses when it's dark because they will shout they will shoot, they will shoot I'm sorry and uh, we can, we're not allowed to um, go outside uh, in big groups of people right. maximum two people so and uh, this is for our safety so right. I think they're just hiding there okay in there and how do you mm -hmm. feel Svetlana do you feel that you're in danger do you feel uh, safe 
uh, I don't feel safe, <laughs> definitely. I feel that I'm in danger. Uh, before it, I felt more scared, but now I feel angry. And, um, you know, uh, it was uh, at some point it was panic and it felt like I cannot handle it anymore. But then, um, uh, you know, there was some breaking point. After that, I started to feel more inspired. We feel that all the world is with us, mm. uh, that uh, our government try to do their best. Uh, we believe in them, we trust them. And uh, our mayor trying to organize um, a green corridor to um, bring here um, uh, human, human uh, how to say, food and uh, medicine. Humanitarian yes. aid, yes. Yes, humanitarian aid. So our government take care of us, and uh, but we still feel don't feel safe. But it's a war. Mm. It feels like it's a war. It's yeah. horrible. It must be horrible because it's hard for us to imagine because we haven't had that experience in, in you know, generations for a very long time, really, in this country. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's difficult to imagine how you must feel. But, but we wish you the best, and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. We feel that the whole world stands with Ukraine, and everybody support us. It's very important. Yeah. We are very grateful. No, listen, we we certainly do. Svetlana Zarina, language teacher, translator, brave woman, um, stuck in the middle of a war zone without being asked if that's where she wanted to be. That is the problem. And for people who continually say, what is happening here? Why are we getting this news? Why do we never see anybody shooting anybody? All of those ridiculous comments about how this is not happening. It is happening to people like Svetlana Zarina, who didn't expect to wake up one morning to find her city occupied by Russian military forces with guns. That's what it's like. It's like waking up in your street in Manchester, in your street in Liverpool, in your street in Leeds, in your street in Devizes, and looking out the window and seeing a lot of Russian soldiers. That's what it's like. Just imagine that. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Also now available, of course, on television as well. All you've got to do uh, is go to talkradio.tv or download the Talk Radio TV app from the App Store and you can watch us on a whole variety uh, of different devices. Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Roku, YouTube, Amazon Fire TV as well. Watch us on a watch. Watch us on an iPad. Watch us on a computer of any kind, a laptop if you like, a desktop. Uh, just watch us because watching is much more important than simply listening. You can do both now. How about this? from Thomas, who says, Mike, talking about the modelling for COVID, they couldn't make an airfix model correctly. They should be held accountable. They couldn't run a bath, never mind a model for the public to follow. Well, this is a story in the Times today uh, in which COVID models significantly overestimated deaths from Omicron, in part because they failed to account for voluntary behavioural change. And this is evidence being given to a parliamentary committee. We'll talk to Fraser Nelson, editor of The Spectator, about that in a moment. But first, Fraser wants to talk to us about Ukraine and the uh, refugee crisis currently at the border with Poland and possibly Hungary as well. Fraser, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. You've written a piece of The Spectator in which you've sort of set out why we should be um, opening up the the doors for the Ukrainian refugees who, who want to come here. Not least because um, they're probably quite highly skilled. And also, uh, we've got a bit of a labour shortage going on. Well, sure, the economic case is there. We do have a massive number of vacancies, a record number of vacancies in Britain. But even if we didn't, this is what you do for your allies in times of war. If they are running for their lives and a million Ukrainians are now um, fleeing the country, uh, then you say to them as your ally, come here and we will give you shelter. This is an open and shut case for asylum. 
Um, and it's, it really should be a no-brainer. And strangely, the British government, despite the Brexit powers of border control, we can do anything we want with the borders. They've been a little bit reticent, saying, well, if you've got relatives over here, then maybe you can come. And there was even some suggestion that Ukrainians could come in and pick berries, and mm. that was how they would get here. Right. This is not what you do to an ally under siege from Russia. What you do is you, first of all, you arm them, you help them fight off the aggressor. We're doing that. But to the women and children who are leaving in their droves, which they are, then you give them shelter out of mm. basic decency. Now, what is border control for? Well, what is having control over one's borders for? if not for basic humanitarian things like that. Yes. Do you not think, though, perhaps that the government are a little gun-shy at the moment of offering anything to anyone because they've been so hopeless at stopping people coming here illegally and they seem powerless to change any policy on that to make it effective? Because we now know that I think more than seven times the number of people came in January of this year, and this is in the midst of them promising to cut back on illegal immigration. And I think they're slightly worried about you know promoting any kind of immigration now. That's exactly it. So what the small boats terrifies them. Right now, if it wasn't for Ukraine, the government's number one political worry, it wouldn't be Partygate. It would be the failure to control the borders around Britain, yeah. the failure to stop the people smugglers, and people coming in all the time in a way that Boris Johnson and Priti Patel have said they'll crack down on, but they're obviously unable to do mm. that. So we're thinking, well, this is a bad look for us now. If we let in Ukrainians, that might risk underlining the idea of us being out, out of self-control. Right. In ordinary circumstances, you might think they had a point, but these are not ordinary circumstances. No. This is a matter of life or death, war or peace, and are we Ukraine's ally or not is a very simple question. Yes. And that's why... They take Poland, for example. Poland didn't let any any refugees in from Belarus. Now, they're quite strict in border control in Poland. They're more strict than most European countries. When it comes to Ukrainians, we're letting every single one of them in. Now, they recognize the, the plight and the urgency. This is a, a country which is very migration skeptic. So Britain, which has got a far better record in integrating asylum seekers and integrating immigrants, should be absolutely at the forefront of those offering mm. complete sanctuary to this. I should say, by the way, that I've got a personal interest here. My wife's family, they fled Russian tanks in 1968 when they rolled into Prague. And my wife's family were amongst those asylum seekers, taken in by Sweden, as it turned out. And that changed their life, you know? I mean, I think in times like this, you really... This this defines who your allies really are. Oh, I think that's that's absolutely right. I mean, I'm actually quite proud of what the help uh, that has been given so far by the British government mm. in Ukraine has, 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 has gone on because at first I wasn't sure that they were doing the right thing, but I think they kind of are now. Yeah, I mean, we were one of the first countries to work out how serious it was. Mm. I think Boris Johnson and Ben Wallace, both they had some internal Whitehall resistance when they wanted to send in thousands of anti-tank missiles. They, they saw this pretty early on. So Britain, almost every single stage here, has been ahead of the events, doing the right thing. The only one strange thing we were behind is recognizing the moral duty that we owe to the Ukrainian people. And if you look at the end, the UN has has shared where they're going now. We would not be overwhelmed or anything like it by Ukrainian refugees. It's simply a matter of our values and showing that these Brexit powers taking control of your borders was not a question of hoisting up a drawbridge. It was a question of us democratically deciding who we let in and who we don't. And there is a clear-cut case for giving unconditional aid to the Ukrainians now. 
And I think almost everybody would agree with what you're saying, Fraser, because I'm seeing that from just the comments we're getting on the show since last week, where people are saying, you know, doesn't this also kind of highlight what people fleeing a war-torn country actually look like? It does tend to be the women and children. Uh, the men are not even allowed to leave Ukraine, as far as I understand it. They're told that at the border they must sort of surrender their families and go back and fight. You know, because what we're told every single day, uh, or we used to be before they stopped telling us how many people were coming, uh, that the, the, the people arriving on the beaches, on the small boats, uh, are all fleeing war-torn countries, but they're all young men. Yeah, that, that was a complicated thing. If you're fleeing poverty, you're, you're fleeing war. You literally end up in the same boat, still willing to risk your lives. Of course, Britain has a legal obligation for refugees, but no legal obligation for economic migration. No. That was a complicated issue. Ukraine is not a complicated mm. issue. Having a Ukrainian passport gives you, is not a complicated issue either. We're not having to test them to see what country they're really from. We're not having to listen to their stories to find out mm. if they're being persecuted or not. If they have a Ukrainian passport, we know they deserve uh, our, our health. Yes. And I know from back in the 90s when um, a lot of refugees came here from the, fleeing the Balkans war um, from Bosnia and other countries in the former Yugoslavia, that many of those people came. Children went into uh, a lot of local schools, certainly in London they did. Um, but then most of them went back after peace was kind of, um, you know, carried out and once it was safe for them to return. So I suspect the Ukrainians who want to come here for, for refuge don't necessarily want to settle here. They just want a bit of peace and quiet while, um, uh, you know, they kick the Russians out. Well, that can certainly be the case. I mean, um, a, a huge number of refugees do actually go back home when it's safe. But let's say it doesn't get safe. It wasn't safe for my wife's family. The Soviets stayed in Czech. They stayed in Sweden. Yeah. But then you have to look at the Ukrainians a bit very, very good at assimilating. One and a half Ukrainians, for example, have gone to Poland without any assimilation problems there at all. Mm. We know the Poles have settled in this country very, very successfully. I don't see why it should be any different for Ukrainians. So no. even if they don't go back, of course, I'd say nine out of ten of them would probably intend to go back if it's safe to do so. But even if it isn't, this is... Is this uh, uh, sort of immigration that Britain knows we can handle well because we've handled it pretty well over the last 10, 20 years. Yes, absolutely right. Just uh, before we let you go, Fraser, I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on this um, uh, parliamentary committee which yesterday heard from the uh, modellers from COVID about how mm. basically useless they were. Carl Henningham was on with Julie Hartley Brewer this morning saying they might as well have just been using guesswork uh, to come up with some of these numbers. You've been at The Spectator very good at... Uh, sort of looking at the proper numbers and holding the figures to account up to a, a microscope. Um, it seems extraordinary, doesn't it, that these people are now just admitting that they were kind of literally plucking it out of thin air. Yes, and we're basically told, in effect, well, you weren't supposed to take it seriously. That's right. their defence. Yeah. These were predictions. They were scenarios. Well, in which case, what, why, it was still so much we don't know. Why did they choose to publish those scenarios and not others? Mm. Uh, where is their estimate of why they got it so so badly wrong? Um, there's the whole sage process. I think it's really important that we, we get on top of this quickly because who knows when the next variant will come along, when the next pathogen will come along. What we don't want to end up is being locked down again on the basis of modelling that nobody will believe. Mm. And the problem now is that sage, having got it so long so often, will simply, might not simply be believed next time, even if what they say is absolutely true. So I think there are huge questions to be asked about the misuse of science, the abuse of modelling and the misrepresentation of modelling um, and, and to try to advocate for lockdowns. When you look at the excess deaths right now, we're actually way below what they're supposed to be in a five-year average. Mm. So rather than having lots of extra deaths, what we've seen is actually fewer deaths than normal, the opposite to what the modellers proposed. 
I don't blame the modelers. They were simply um, joining the dots they were asked to join. But what we don't know is why they were asked to put them together in that certain way mm. and whether this was effectively a government information campaign to try to make the case for lockdown. Yes. Because there is no, still very little scrutiny over what went on in that SAGE process. And I hope this committee is just the start of getting to the bottom of what went on because we really do need to get it right next time. Well, perhaps they don't need to have anything to do with it next time because what we kept being told by the government was we must follow the science. And it turns out it wasn't actually science at all. It wasn't science at all, no. This was simply just estimates. And the government's hid behind the scientists in a way. They wanted us to lower down and they wanted to present this as being the advice of the scientists. What the modelers say yesterday is no, this wasn't our advice at all. Mm. And Gray Medley, the chief modeler, was saying that he always thought there'd be some other committee looking at the social damage, the economic damage, and assessing that against the epidemiological advice. But no, they just took the, um, the SAGE models and that was it. So the whole way that the government used the scientists' data, I think, was not just amateurish, but reckless. Mm. Reckless and needless um, side effects and collateral damage which they inflicted on, on the country and we very very narrowly got away of lock, not locking down a fourth time this time no absolutely right fraser great to talk to you thank you very much indeed fraser nelson there for editor of the spectator needless reckless i mean i would add dangerous to that because we're still feeling the effects of what this government did don't think we're ever going to forget that do not think that we are going to let it pass do not think that we're going to move on because we're not quite frankly what these maniacs have now admitted is that they didn't take into account the fact that people might change their behaviour if they thought there was a very dangerous uh, and very transmissible variant like Omicron. And what happened before Christmas, which was not a lockdown, because thankfully Boris Johnson didn't order one, uh, Chris Whitty more or less told everybody that there was going to be 6,000 deaths, people were going to be dropping dead in the streets. People started to behave differently and you didn't need to lock them down. And so all of the nastiness and all of the ruin that has faced so many families and so many businesses was unnecessary. So let's not just forget about it. Let's go after these people and find out what the hell they were thinking and never let them anywhere near government policy again. Thank you. This is Talk Radio. Common Sense. Talk Radio! Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Lots of you wanting to get in touch. We will be coming to all of your calls as and when we can get to them, of course. We've got lots of breaking news to deal with as well. Uh, lots of people saying uh, that uh, the, the interview there with Svetlana was absolutely amazing and she is quite an amazing woman, clearly. Ordinary people having to put up with extraordinary events in their lives and I think that's what war in these countries means to an awful lot of people because you don't expect to have to experience something like that in your lifetime and I think it's dreadful uh, what is going on. The Russians apparently are now saying they're ready for talks to end the fighting. We'll see whether that goes anywhere because, of course, the Ukrainian um, government is not particularly willing uh, to do any business with the Russians. What they want to do uh, is just to see them leaving the country getting the hell out and going back to Moscow. It's as simple as that. We're going to take a little detour right now because there's shocking news that came out this morning uh, from Australia about Neighbours, the TV show, the soap opera that's been around for 37 years, right? Almost 9,000 episodes broadcast. Apparently, they're going to shut it down. They're going to axe it because they can't find any funding. The following the loss of our key broadcast partner in the UK and despite an extensive search for alternative funding, say Neighbours, we simply have no option but to rest the show. After 37 years, Channel 5 has dropped it. 
no explanation. Surely something can be done to keep it going. Let's talk to Alan Fletcher, who plays Dr. Carl Kennedy and has done for decades in Neighbours. Alan, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, not so at all. It's a I sad mean, day, of course. it is. This must have come have come as a bit of a shock to you, Alan. Oh well, we had some forewarning of it. I mean, Channel Five have been a wonderful, wonderful partner to Neighbours for fourteen years. Channel Ten, of course, here in Australia, have supported the show for thirty-seven years, and we're very grateful for that. Channel Five has made an economic decision, which is not uncommon to, to make, particularly in times of COVID, to pivot towards uh, UK drama, and so that funding stream has disappeared. And we've un- been unable to find another funding stream, unfortunately. So the, the tough decision has to be made to close the show down uh, and rest it. Uh, you know, if we, could find, if we could find funding down the track or if some other model could be created, that would be fantastic. But the reality is, the harsh reality is, that we can't continue past June 10 uh, in production here in Australia. Right. Because I'm told you've still got an audience about a million every day worldwide. Um, that's surely a big enough number to get somebody interested in putting it on. Well, you'd like to think so. And, you know, the big thing here is uh, what we really are hoping is that people will now celebrate Neighbours with us. I mean, we're going to be on air until August in the UK. And we're really, really hopeful that the people who've loved Neighbours, who are watching it right now, and the people who used to love Neighbours and maybe aren't watching it right now, will come back to the show and really help us celebrate 37 years of incredible drama right through to August. And, you know, the upshot of that might be, if the figures get high enough, that someone might come along and go, hey, you know what, let's, let's revisit this. Let's have another think about it. But for now... Unfortunately, we are ending, and we're going to make those last weeks in Neighbours the best that it could be. I was going to say to you whether you have any favourite moments. I know that's probably a very difficult question to ask somebody who's been in so many episodes um, without wishing yeah. to give you 25 minutes to answer the question. But, I mean, have you got have you got a favourite moment or a favourite series? Funnily enough, I do. Uh, I never used to, but episode 7,000 was very special to me because my character, who's very tight with money, won $7,000 on a scratch lottery, uh, but lost the ticket. And so I spent (laughs) that episode roaming around trying to find the ticket. And eventually, I can't really explain how it got to this point, I found it stuck to Toadfish, one of our characters, stuck to his bottom. And we were at a naturalist lunch when I found that. So it's a very funny episode. Uh, I'll always treasure it. And so it's definitely one to find on YouTube and and chase in the archives. Okay. I was going to say, is it easy to find some of the older shows? Are they they all sitting somewhere happily for someone to just tap tap into? I I believe so much of it is available. And I wouldn't be surprised if so much more does become available as a a, historical thing. we have so many fans, and I really want to just say at this point, I am gutted for all the fans of the show. So many of them contacting us, expressing their dismay. So many of them working so hard to try and save neighbours. Every effort people are making uh, is so appreciated, I've got to say. And for 37 years, the show would not have survived without all you wonderful people, particularly in the UK. So thank you for your loyalty. Thank you for your support. Please stay with us to the end and help us celebrate Neighbours. Sure. And what would you say, Alan, to any potential broadcaster looking to save it? Well, I'd say that, you know, all all possible avenues for Neighbours to be on air still uh, should be investigated if people have got the wherewithal to do it. Um, you know, I, it's, it's beyond me, I'm going to say, to be able to know what sort of model might work or whatever. But there's some greater minds out there than mine, and who knows? Maybe someone, maybe someone's got a vision 
Uh, I hope they do. But uh, one thing that might give them that vision, of course, is if, if tons and tons of people watch the show right through to the end. Yeah, absolutely right. But listen, Alan, great uh, to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck and, and thank you for all the uh, episodes in the past. I'll go back and have another look at episode 7000 uh, and check it out. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll hopefully speak to you soon when somebody's rescued it. Wonderful. Thanks for the support. No problem at all. Alan Fletcher there, uh, who played Dr. Carl Kennedy uh, and has played him for decades in Neighbours. Uh, if you're a Neighbours fan, uh, you know what to do. Tweet me uh, with why we should be saving Neighbours, because clearly there is a lust for it. There is a need for it in this country. We certainly could do uh, with cheering up from time to time. Uh, so let's get it on. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.